Hey everyone, Paulie from Rat Depot here, back with another episode of Rat Depot FM. Um, the Depot is the rattiest FM on the Depot, I don't know. And um, I'm here with uh, British filmmaker Levi Eddie Alude. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you, man? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Um, a bit tired. But we were just remarking before we press record on the fact that um, we first spoke, I think, four years ago, and then kind of spoke, presumably... Wow, the years, it's really blurry for me. Um, but I think three years ago, we talked about one of your last projects, which was Visions of a Vivid Life. Um, and I remember, had you done all of it when we spoke? Or was it sort of in the middle? Um, I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember any of that. But um, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you'd seen all of it or seen half of it either. I well, how many is it? Four parts. Yeah, I think at the time I'd possibly seen two. Mm. I'm not sure, but um, as we know, that was incredibly successful for you. Um, I don't want to rack off uh, bloody you know an IMDb list of awards, but I know you won what about twenty awards for that for that mini web series, so. It sounds like absurd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how was how was that as an as an experience like? Because I remember when when we spoke, I asked you about how it felt to sort of upscale in projects in terms of like I don't know production budget, you know, scope, whatever. Um, and I remember you you would kind of take it in your stride at the time. I remember you 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 saying that you know it felt fairly natural and it didn't feel like a huge burden or whatever do you still feel that way um I think you know that's an that's an interesting time um that that was a strange experience because it was 2020 so something was going down no one knows what that was um uh, uh, something was going down and so it meant that we were getting a lot of success but I couldn't like physically interact with any of it yeah so it was weird to try and get my head around um it felt good though um to have something that you knew people liked because i maybe not made anything i had made some things that had been seen a lot but maybe not made anything that was so like people still talk to me about it nowadays which is so strange um but at the time the budget of it was was actually smaller than the first short film I had done. So it was more like, I think the story had bigger scope, but in terms of the production, it was kind of the same. Mm -hmm. So that's why it felt very strange. It definitely meant like I made a bright choice somewhere to do that kind of thing. Um, And since then, it's just been very different because I financed that myself. And then yeah. now I don't finance my movies. I don't pre- uh, produce any of my movies. Um, and they have scaled up in budget so much quicker and larger than that was between, you know, the short film I'd done and Visions. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to touch on something you mentioned before kind of asking a, a, a question that leads on from that. But you mentioned, obviously, I'd even not, not even made that connection, but I, obviously I think I was in Brighton when we spoke and it was possibly during lockdown or in between them or whatever. Um, 
uh how was it how yeah i mean maybe speak up more on that experience like making making something during covid and the challenges of that and also i just wondered whether because i have an opinion on this but i don't want to kind of go into that before i've heard yours which is what did you feel any sort of did you feel the pandemic and stuff kind of bleed into what you were doing or like your writing or kind of your headspace when you were making stuff or was filmmaking sort of an escape from it or was it just ever present? Um, I mean, I guess when we started, so we shot, we had prepped it, we shot it and it wasn't lockdown yet. So lockdown happened when we were editing, I think, it happened, I saw my editor like the week before or two weeks before lockdown happened and we just finished the second one. Mm -hmm. And we needed that done for a deadline. So that was kind of like already sorted. So I spent the summer, I was still working from home and I was editing and it kind of just felt, it didn't feel that different because it was nothing. I could have gone to the editor's house and we could have been editing, but it didn't really matter because we had to just send me cuts and stuff. And it's not so different from what you do half the time with editors anyway. Right. Um, and that felt kind of normal. The festival stuff was strange, but I had actually only been to a couple of festivals before for a film. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like imagining <laughs> what it would be like. And some of them were online festivals. So I watched right. some of the other movies online and stuff um, and met, like not met the filmmakers, but like spoke to them outside of, you know, that. Uh, but it felt, obviously you weren't going up on a stage and saying your thing about what what's nice about winning <laughs> this thing so filmmaking to me was just like in a place I'd never been in anyway so yeah um yeah, yeah. the only thing lockdown really did was that it got me to like focus on filmmaking more like after my job my contract at my job ended I I was like I've got some money saved up I've got this time let me like tr focus everything into doing filmmaking writing and directing as a job that's really interesting and um because what i was going to ask you following on from that was obviously um you get the awards and stuff like that nominations at, at festivals and web festivals um how does that translate to what you've been doing since i'm obviously jumping quite a lot you know three span of three years um and we can't cover every every day um but like you know so you sent me um the screener for smell of cut grass and it's so nice. Like I, I watched it um last night, and I just I on it honestly, it's so fucking nice. Like I think the music for me was really like I didn't expect that type of music, and um I think especially in like indie shorts and stuff like that, I don't necessarily hear that type of music that often, and that might be a generalization, but um it was just really interesting. And you mentioned that you're um that someone you you worked with someone who produced the music for that. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, it was uh, awards. I think got just got me like uh, kind of like a badge of approval, like critical approval, especially in what like the number always looks nice because it means that it's like across the board, and then what you win for looks better because, like, 
I won original screenplay a couple of times. So it meant that as a writer, like I was good because I, I, I had written, yeah, I had written something that had been made and had been, and won for that like specific thing. Um, mm -hmm. So it meant that when I was going for jobs, like any other job, that it looked better and people were more likely to give me a job and they did. <laughs> um, and it also just more people had seen it because they heard about it being good. So it directly led to the Swan of Cut Grass to doing that in terms of I got that as a writing job and then my CV was very liked and they liked my directing and said, do you want to direct it? So I got to direct it. Um, and then that had just kind of just kept going from there, really. Um, the music thing is really cool. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I just think anyone said because I did that on purpose. Um, and yeah, I, I worked with a friend of mine who, I guess, mixed everything uh, and created all the tracks that you hear in the movie. Yeah, I mean, especially like because I was literally, well, I told you I was shazamming them and trying to figure out what the fuck they were because, you know, I like a bit of drum and bass and that sort of thing. And um, I feel like it fit really well with the ending of the of the short. And um, yeah, I mean, it looks stunning as well. Like, I think um, I, like obviously this is a compliment, not an insult, but I feel like visually it's it's like so much more. Um, it just it just like felt so much more vivid than Visions, ironically, given the name. Um <laughs> But for me, it like it really felt like an evolution, and um, you know, that's not to like put down visions at all, but just as, it's just a sign of growth. And I think when I watched Smell of Grass, I was just like, this, like everything looks so nice, like the 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 garden and that sort of thing, and and those kind of like golden hues and stuff, and kind of oh, it's just so lustrous as well. Um, and I really like because because yeah, I, I sorry, go on. No, it's just it's, it is it's true, um, but it's like. It's like that's what you get when you have a budget. <laughs> like you can <laughs> yeah. you can choose things, um, which is nice. Yeah, and and I just thought, you know, because I'm watching these kind of outdoor scenes and stuff, and then when it moved indoors and it was sort of it was you know coming to an evening and it was getting dark and I think the scene around the dinner table is so peng. Like I loved it. Um, and obviously oh, that the, scene, that's my favorite scene. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so nice. It's so intimate and. Um, I loved the the positioning of people in that in those kind of that final scene where you know you've got the the couple on the sofa and then um you know the two kind of dancing together and and then that final shot is just unreal honestly um so yeah I mean a big shot so obviously it screened um it ran at Prince Charles right in London for a while yeah yeah it ran at the Prince Charles for three weeks um and then we had a screening at london screen academy um and we had a q a like a masterclass session on that there uh the week during one of those weeks as well that's amazing i mean did you sit in on a lot of them or just the first or what was that like um i went to all of them and it nice. was because i curated some film i curated all the films as well some of the other well the, there was it was with feature films and i wanted to sort of see the like attendance but also i just wanted to watch those movies yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's a good excuse and yeah it was really amazing those that month was just like because we had finished the movie a year before so it was a long time wow. to not really hear anything about the movie and that month felt really good to just be in a physical space again as well and to like see people interacting with it um it's meant to be coming back to the prince charles 
uh, in a month or two uh, for spring. Oh, nice. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'd love to catch you because I, I know you invited me to to one of the screenings. I couldn't make it, unfortunately, but I'd, I'd love to see it in a, on a big screen. Um, that's really cool. And I, it's a nice um, it's a nice sort of ending to that story in terms of with visions having to sort of enjoy that that attention and, and the success and stuff but sort of from a from afar to a degree and then to go to go and then obviously see literal literal human beings you know um sat like watching your stuff must be must be surreal um i just wanted to i was thinking like when i watched um cut grass and then looking back on visions and stuff i was thinking like um i i feel like your your work and your writing doesn't doesn't like i for me, and this may just be because I'm a moron, but I can't, I can't sort of draw out obvious influences or like places that I've seen this before or that type of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was just wondering, like, is is that sort of a purposeful thing, or are you just kind of writing from a, you know, like how how do you what am I, what the fuck am I trying to say? Like, um, how do I? approach the writing <laughs> where do i get this shit from? <laughs> <laughs> well just like and i think because you know what i was getting at with the questions about the pandemic and stuff as well is that it doesn't seem like there's obvious um things hanging over the things you make they feel like they stand alone and they feel like they're not you know when you watch something and it feels like over time like you watch it and it's just a bit yeah. like you know like glass onion i watched glass onion and i was like fuck me oh this, yeah this is gonna age like milk <laughs> Um, so but i just yeah. feel like with cut grass it felt really out of out of time really and i really enjoyed that so just wondering whether that's a deliberate sort of effect or whether that's just an accident um yeah i i i think it is uh i think because i just did a movie now i did a film for bfi and i didn't write that film and it was a very different experience directing something I didn't write. And I had, I did an episode in the web series as well that I didn't write. And that was interesting in a different way. Um, and it, it just felt totally different because I think when I approach writing, for me, it's so much about like the story. Like if you read this as a short story or if you read this in a book or like, in any way you'd interact with the story, would it be something that you would remember and stand on its own in its own way? And I don't ever think about, like, I think of things happening in the world, but I want to make a film or a product that, you know, is kind of general. Like, it's about, it could be any time, it could be any place. Yeah. And a lot of the things I make, I try to write a lot of stories either specifically not in a time and place so that you can imagine it and it feels like a fantasy like you could go there or that are very rooted in this is the past this is a bit of history or you know like something specific to teach you something maybe um yeah yeah i mean you briefly <clears throat> mentioned the your kind of next project um an eighth of him i believe is the one you're talking about yeah yeah so can you tell us anything about that or or is that sort of zipped up 
Um, no, I can tell you it's the film is done pretty much. Uh, it's coming out like kind of like now, really. Uh, oh, sweet. It is about a drug dealer who starts to uh, sort of fall, start, he starts to have feelings basically for one of his buyers. And you, so you see their relationship develop over a year, but only when uh, they're buying and selling. So wow. only from inside the car, really, inside sale. the dealer's car. Yeah, that's really, um, that's just and, fucking really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool concept. And I read the script. So uh, the producer called me and was like, hey, do you want to direct this movie? <laughs> you want to read the script? Do you want to direct this movie? And I read it and I was like, I would direct this. Um, it didn't have any financing yet. Mm-hmm. And he had just done a film for BFI already. So he was pretty like certain he could get the financing, but I was just like, I was, you know, I think when you're in between films, you sort of listen to other projects and you say yes to things and you don't really know if they're going to get made or what's going to happen. So I was just like, yeah, sure. I had to do some work on it. And then a few months later, we got the financing and it just started happening. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's been a lovely experience. It was a lovely screenplay. By one of the actors who's in the movie as well. Oh, mad! That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I know you're also working on. Uh, I can't remember the name. Something recipes. Oh, recipes for Micah Halliday. Yes. How is that going? Gone. Um, it's gone really, really well. I mean, it's it's such a different, interesting fun exciting process to be making a feature film (laughs) Um, Mm. it's still in i mean i feel like well if you're a writer director then you're kind of directing even from the beginning but it's mostly in the writing it's like what i was working on today (laughs) um it has been so at this point basically it's with a production company they own it uh i've sold it to them uh the come the company's us films And we've had some workshops with Film London and they put us into the production finance market at LFF, which is this thing where specific amount of projects get chosen and they get developed and pitched and you get to speak to, you know, all the people film for and everybody um, about your movie. And that was an amazing experience. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, We've recently gotten some a bit of funding and it's going to another big film market uh, next week. So the hope is just the really we're just waiting for funding <laughs> and I'm writing to yeah. deadlines and stuff whilst that's happening. Yeah, that's mad. I mean, that sounds really exciting. I hope it all kind of uh, clicks through for you. I mean, what I'm getting from this is you got a lot of... Um, I don't want to say fingers in pie because it sounds so horrible, doesn't it? Like fingers in pie sounds so gross. Um, but you, you like, I feel like your portfolio just is is diversifying at a pretty rapid rate, and it just sounds it all sounds really interesting. So, so congrats on that. Um, I just want to talk about um, a couple of things. Um, I'll start with this. Obviously, we talked a bit about how um, 
the stuff that you've made, yeah, has a timeless quality or, or feels sort of, um, yeah, it's about the story and the emotion of it and that and that sort of thing. And I definitely that came across in Smell of Cut Grass. And but one thing I was thinking is, um, are you? I phrase this in a weird way because what I actually want to ask is: Is there anyone at the minute, any kind of filmmakers, um, contemporary filmmakers that um, you know or that you've watched and enjoyed recently? Recently, huh? Um, I'll put you on the spot there. I, I, I think I've like kind of figured my list of like what would be my Mount Rushmore of inspiration in terms of the world of cinema. Um, but definitely everything Celine Celine Sciamma does. Yeah. Uh, she did Portrait of a Lady on Fire and that. Like she's every movie I've seen of her has been flawless. And I was lucky enough to meet her and to speak about movies with her. And it she was just incredible. Um Lynn Ramsey again is yeah. just like the genius, genius, like like playing chess, like she can do five moves in one. It's mad. Um, Barry Jenkins as well, mm-hmm. who was just so emotional and honest um, and romantic. And David Fincher, because he's just very direct and confident. Um, and that's really inspired a lot of my development as a filmmaker, his kind of editing style and his confidence with shots and um, vision. And Denny Villeneuve as well, because... Mm. The- Dick man, <laughs> yeah, great. yeah, he was just goaded, didn't he? I mean, that that's <laughs> a fucking great list. So you can't really can't really complain about the list. And what I loved about how you described them all is is you've you've sort of found attributes or key elements of their filmmaking that you aspire to or like that you enjoy, and they're all different, which is really interesting. You know, I think it could be easy to say, you know, three or four directors that are fairly similar or not that any director is, is the same as another, but you know what I mean? Um, or, or, or directors of a similar genre or style, but I feel like all of those are so different. Um, and yeah, I, I think you, I think you picked upon the things that they do the best so well as well. I, I fucking love Lynn Ram- Ramsey. And um, I saw, I went to see, um, when you talk about Kevin at, the BFI, I think, actually. And it was introduced yeah. by Lynn and Tilda and like Tilda Swinton, that is, folks. And it was funny. They came in, I think they came in at the end of the film and they were like, yeah, da, da, da. And, they, and they, they were like, oh, yeah, we've just been sitting like having dinner in like a restaurant like next door. And I was like, you sneaky bastards. You know, <laughs> I would have loved to have. Yeah. Uh, to intruded on that dinner for sure i would have happily missed the film to do that um she's from what from what i've heard she's um very chill like yeah also i mean i have a friend who was at sundance um and he met lynn at like a fucking drinks thing or something something like that and he was like you know he loves her work and shit and he was looking for her and she was like nowhere to be seen because she was like sitting in a corner, like hiding, just not talking to anybody. <laughs> and so he just went to have a little chat with her and she was just really, really lovely. And obviously you're at Sundance as well. So British people, if you're British, you know, then you're going to gravitate towards the Brits. Yeah. 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 Um, solidarity and all that. Um, 
Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a great list. I mean, this might feel like a similar question, but hopefully it's not because it's not just about film. But this is a question I ask of everyone that comes on, um, which is what are you enjoying at the minute? That could be anything, film, music, TV, books. What are you enjoying? What would you recommend to people? No, what am I enjoying at the minute? Gosh. It can be well, hard this is going to sound busy and you're just like not doing anything yeah. other than work or whatever. Yeah, because I do work a lot, but that means that when I have one show that really gets me through stuff that I just enjoy seeing and watching, it's great. But I think at the moment, because I'm not doing a lot of reading, uh, I just finished it. So I'm really missing it a lot, but it's Star Trek Lower Decks, which is this animated Star Trek show on Amazon Prime. (laughs) That is absolutely not what I expected you to say. (laughs) This is is the thing. I don't, I haven't watched any Star Trek outside of like the Chris Pine movies. (laughs) So I'm not a Star Trek fan. And I'm not like I don't care about this shit, but yeah. it's kind of like Rick and Morty, but if it was Star Trek, and yeah, I've I think learned I through watching it. it, it looked similar. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so it's very Star Trekky, but it's so ridiculous and relaxed and comedic, and you know the swearing and all that shit. Yeah, yeah. and it's just made me learn. The biggest thing I've learned from it is that. Star Trek is better than Star Wars because they can oh. do this. <laughs> you know, you have no idea how good that sounds. Listen, yeah, like I, I, I'm not a biblical Trekkie or anything. Like you know, I've not watched Next Generation or anything like that. Um, I actually found out. Well, I didn't know, but I became gluten intolerant in the middle of Star Trek Beyond when I went to go see it. So, uh, a little yeah, factoid about gluten and. I had loads of chicken nuggets and a wrap and a burger all in one uh, and then just threw up anyway that's graphic but um, it definitely wasn't just (laughs) Um, yeah I'm not a big Trekkie but I just think there's such a soul to it and it's so like um, it's so fucking nerdy but it just kind of wears it on its sleeve I think and yeah it is what you said that like yeah there's a real soul to it it's really like genuine um and it's it makes it, it's almost real is it's very real star wars the more i watch star wars the more i'm like this is actually ridiculous like no one is thinking it takes so long to get something good from to get something good from that like ip when they have so much money and they do so much and you're like this is just hi yeah. <laughs> i, I, I... It's like a, it's an IB where they can just throw a fuck you amount of money at it and they still fumble the bag. And it's, I think part of it is that like this, the degree of fan service, especially in the, in the, the kind of sequels that they just finished, like is ridiculous. That final film is an abomination and, um, Oh, fucking awful. It's trash. <laughs> I mean, you know, people have mixed opinions on The Last Jedi. I personally love it. But, um, with Trek, it's like, there's obviously fan service because it had a very dedicated especially in the early years like a very dedicated core group of people that watched it um fucking massive nerds essentially and i feel like there is fan service in it but the level of fan service is so detailed that it just feels authentic like fan service in trek is like um fans are clamoring for like two minor characters to fuck basically or for them to yeah. visit, like a planet <laughs> with like a specific political <laughs> issue or whatever 
And because yeah. it was such a fringe thing for so long, it's like um, they could just do that. They could just write and take risks and have like quite politically radical episodes or, 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 or you know, features. And it didn't matter because it wasn't to like a mass audience that would fucking. You know... I think that's the, the key thing is that it's political, you know, as yeah. genuinely. And Star Wars tries to be, but I think the biggest handicap Star Wars ever had was probably being spawned from a very hero's journey conventional kind of movie <laughs> and start yeah. like you said star trek was a tv show where they could just yeah. keep diving in constantly and it's i think it's hard to be politically radical when you're owned by disney i think i you know exactly. even though i take <laughs> and, with a pinch of salt like i've not watched it and i probably won't um the thing is Andor is the only real good thing that's come out of it. And it's the only political political thing to come out of Star Wars. Like the first genuinely thought out politique of Star Wars. Exactly. I yeah. I there's so much room for that to to be better. Um I honestly I watched season one of The Mandalorian and I thought it was I thought it was good, don't get me wrong. Um, but that was me kind of done with it and and just to know like i sometimes do you ever you know you watch a season or something you're like that was pretty good or whatever i'll I'll check back in when there's a second season and you kind of blink and then it's been three years and there's like four seasons and it's like it's exactly how i feel about that show yeah, yeah i can't remember like, what the fuck is going on how is there like two or three seasons of this there's a season of boba fett there's like another one obi-wan was <laughs> made as fuck anyway i mean we could we could talk about how disappointing star wars can be for forever but that's cool that you're you're enjoying the star trek show and I remember my first exposure yeah. was kind of watching the original films with Shatner and that, who apparently yeah. is a massive cunt. So fair enough, but um, the films are cool. Um, I'm just conscious of time. I don't want this to run forever, but I feel like if we got into the the ribs of of anything, we could definitely chat about it for ages. But one final question I wanted to leave you with, or not leave you with, but ask you, is um, I can't remember whether I asked you this last time, but you're obviously at a stage where as I say, your project's kind of upscaling and you're getting that kind of like external support and working with like a wide range of stakeholders and stuff, which is obviously like the fucking dream um, for a lot of indie filmmakers and stuff like that, especially younger ones. I just wanted to know whether you had any sort of advice for people um, that may be aware you are three years ago. Oh, where was it? Or three years ago? Um... Or four or five, Mm. you know? What do, what do you think oh, has God. been the sort of main lessons that if you've learned from, let's say, visions in 2020 to um, an eighth of him and and and, um, and that sort of thing this year? Um, be be natural uh, and work with people you want to like. Work with people you want to work with and who you like, um, and try to pinpoint your weaknesses um and don't necessarily change because you might not want to change you know you can have weaknesses but just know what they are and know what things you 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 really want to do and fight for and in a practical sense uh keep writing stuff because otherwise you're not going to have anything to sell (laughs) and you need to sell something (laughs) in order to, <laughs> to have a job so um i feel like the, i did a lot of writing for free before and now i get to write for money <laughs> and the only difference is 
I've gotten to the point where I can now figure out how to get paid for these things um, and where to go. Uh, and that just comes with time, I think, with better stuff and making your own better stuff and the right people will come to, to you. See, I think when you ask someone that type of question, it's hard because you get put on the spot, but that was such an articulate answer. And um, I feel like the advice you're giving is so pertinent to other things. I think most creative pursuits, to be honest, I think you're right in terms of consistency and that sort of thing. I mean, even with, you know, not to make it about myself, but only for the next 30 seconds, but say with Rap Depot and the stuff I'm doing now is that's, you know, I've done that in, in different forms for the last three years and it, and it, um, in different fashions you know with one a day where i you know was reformatting a website every fucking 24 hours which was the most sadistic thing i've ever told myself to do and then, mad, yeah. and then you know like a newsletter which had a, a, a sort of theme or aesthetic or voice that kind of boxed me into what it was and i feel like i've only really recently found like w- what kind of creative outlet act- actually suits my personality and my tone of voice and stuff so i fully agree with what you're saying and um yeah i mean yeah i think the advice you put out is amazing and and keep writing have stuff that you can show to other people is probably the best advice you could give anyone ever um so yeah this has been fucking sick um thank you levi um is there anything you want to thank you. Sort of plug or like forecast to people like you know that's coming up in the future that they can check in for i don't know uh i guess i have a website uh it's just levi eddie alawede or you can just search my name if you want to find stuff i've got some screenings coming up of uh either the smell of cut grass or an eighth of him um an eighth of him is doing festivals for the rest of the year and the smell of cut grass i know will have it will be back at the prince charles cinema soon so you can check the website and i'm sure it will have other screenings so I guess yeah, that's really yeah at the Very moment. But indeed. thank you for having me, man. Of course, yeah. I mean, I, I've just learned from how you said it that I've been mispronouncing your name like a dickhead. So uh, apologies for that. I didn't even um, realize. It's fine. I said Alude, but it's Aluede. Aluede, yeah. Perfect. Well, I will never massacre that again. Um, and yeah, if people want to check out um, Visions of a Vivid Life, they can watch it on your YouTube channel, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's free to view. Perfect. So cool. I will I will include all these links and so on. So people who are listening to this, you can check it out um on my Substack or you can um check out Levi on Instagram, for example. Um it, what's your Instagram? Is it it's Levi's Nafu? N-A-F-U? Yeah, yes, Levi Snafu on everything. Everything that's not my name it will be that. So yeah. Gorgeous. Well, manifesting all the success for you in the next year and um yeah, maybe I'll try and get an interview with you in three years' time and I won't be able to, and that'll be a good sign. You will. I'll make sure it happens. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I'll hold you to it. But um, yeah, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening, everyone. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I will see you next time with a letter on Sunday, and you'll be hearing from Levi very, very soon, I would imagine. Um, all the best. Love, Paulie.